was able to get the education that I always wanted. Because of you, I will be paying it forward and serving my nation. Join us at thanksusa.org. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the Studio. I'm Tom King, and once again, we are playing that wonderful game, Where in the World is Merle Kelch? I am in a backyard in Cribbett. Okay. And... All right, we, there should be more to the story. My sister-in-law has got a great property, and she has it set up in the back of her, on some of her property, to uh, have some campers. We have our infamous camping group here, uh, ruining your grass and uh, burning stuff down and having fires and listening to music. So, a uh, big thank you to Amy for uh, letting us come crash in your backyard. All right, so but we, we are we are live, and you are with us today, and you can answer questions, 715-845-2155. We have this wonderful uh, service on our telephone called Conference Call, so any calls we can put together with Merle here and get your questions answered regarding your portfolio. And I would imagine yeah. folks will have some questions after what happened uh, yesterday in the stock market. The Dow closed down marking a four-day skid, the longest since January, and had its worst week since October of last year. It did. After comments from a Fed official saying that maybe interest rates are going to go up uh, late next year. I guess, tell us how that all shakes out in your world. The stock market went down. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> we were busy, even though we were you know, taking a day off on Fridays, as we uh, typically will do, we were busy yesterday buying into the marketplace as it came down. And one of the reasons we see the market coming down is a knee-jerk reaction, as you said, with the Fed. So, you know, there's so much information out there this morning, Tom, talking about inflation, what the Feds are saying, and trying to figure it all out in itself is just uh, uh, one heck of a daunting task to try to get it figured out. But I'll do my best to give it a shot. So uh, we had the Federal Reserve that came out. Thursday and said, hey, we're going to uh, not move anything. We're not going to change anything. We're leaving interest rates the same until about 2023. Um, but they did change it in there, saying that, you know, with the market uh, or some of the economy coming back so robustly and so fast as we came back, they didn't expect that. And thinking that we had some inflationary pressures and they'd expect that we're going to have two interest rate hikes uh, by or in 2023. And then we had, oh, and I'm trying to find his uh, name here so quickly, but then we had the Federal Reserve. A uh, governor that came up from Minneapolis said, "Well, we think we uh, might have to have interest rates go up next year." Yeah, that and was the was, uh, that was just fell apart. That was Bullard from uh, the St. Louis yeah, Fed. Yeah, I made the comments oh, yesterday. Fed, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going to speak in speech in uh, Minneapolis. My apologies. So we had another one that came up. Said, "Yeah, I don't think so. It's probably going to be 2023." And the whole balance of the years again, folks. We're in an area that we've never done before. I mean, we haven't done this. And so all of this is coming into, you know, what's inflation going to be? What's inflation not going to be? Are the economy or markets coming back? Are they not coming back? And so as I'm going through this, I have to stop and say, what's happening with the economy? Are things coming back to put this in perspective in my mind and say, where are we going with all of this? So uh, the economy, robust. I mean, GDP up the past uh, quarter, uh, near 7%. I think it was 6.6 .6 would be the exact number. The expectation was supposed to be 4 so people are coming back yet, even though we still have jobs all over the place, um, you know, things are coming back and it's creating inflationary pressures. Now, fortunately, a few things are happening that are driving some of these inflationary pressures down, such as we're seeing the dollar coming up in value, which will actually slow the economy. And I guess at this point in time, I'd almost consider that to be good. But commodities and dollar prices tend to work inversely. So if our dollar is going up, commodity prices are coming, of course, down. And so we can see some evidence of that. Um, if we take a look at 
wood, for example, which has been the bane of any builder's existence here throughout the course of this year. And we hit a high of wood prices in May, and we're down some 43% from there, partially because of the dollar going up, partially because we're starting to get stuff moving and shipping again. So we have to look at all of that and what's going on. So the market needs your reaction, in my opinion, uh, because of all the stuff that's going on. So let me stop and take a look at a few things here. So uh, this comes from uh, multiple sources uh, put together for us as a summary from First Coast Advisors uh, coming out of Chicago. And if we look at, um, are we spending money? Yeah, weekly retail sales um, off the hook compared to not only uh, 2020, which would be ex- expected, um, but off the charts uh, going up from uh, 20, um, 20, I'm sorry, 19, 2019, showing that this money, this cash that we're getting is being soaked up into the system and goods and services. Continuing job claims, they continue to keep dropping down. Of course, numbers this year are considerably better than what they were from 2020. Um, uh, not quite as good as they were in 1919. Initial jobless claims also dropping down. Staffing index, which I thought was pretty impressive, um, where numbers right now are as they were in 2019 is down a little bit higher uh, from the American Staffing Association. So we're getting back to work. Staffing agencies are uh, running people back out. So some things on that look, uh, that to me, that I try to see is this. Um, are we building stuff and shipping stuff? So steel production if we look at uh, steel production, we are about at 2019 numbers right now already. Um, and our rail car traffic, again, is right at 2019 numbers. Uh, no slowdown from the end of the year of 2020, uh, which we were doing okay then. But we're building the stuff and we're getting the stuff shipped. Um, so from this, we're starting to travel. Um, fuel supplies are up there, of course, bouncing around as they do on a month-to-month basis. But we're starting to get moving and the economy is starting to get going and i think one of the reasons that we see you know people are afraid that maybe inflation gets away on us i don't think it's going to happen i think inflation is going to be transitory we see that evidence right now with uh, wood supplies and other commodities Um, so maybe we don't see interest rates go up next year but maybe we uh uh, this is a knee jerk and we go in and buy which is uh, what we did in the, the kelch Office. I want to talk about that a little bit, but when you talk about uh, inflation not being a major problem, with the exception maybe of the housing market, because I was reading some stories and inflation in the housing market, of course, has gone crazy. There, if you can find a house to buy, you've got to pay way over list, and in some places there are crummy houses that are that are being purchased with cash for way over the asking price. So that that's got to come to a head at some point, doesn't it? Well, I hope it does right after I get my house sold. <laughs> everybody, I have a house we're selling up my fleet farm. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, so let's not uh, you know, put any shade on the marketplace yet. But, you know, the, the housing market has been a bear. Um, we've talked about so much at this point in time. We were barely building houses to cover scrappage, uh, which, of course, are houses that have to be torn down or uh, are being torn down. So we're barely covering the, the number of houses being built to cover scrappage, much less those that are getting out wanting to now buy and build their own home. Um, and then we add in the, the wood prices going up. And so it just kind of puts stuff to a halt. And people, of course, still want to buy houses and need places to go. Um, and it's, uh, it's made a tremendous demand on the, the real estate industry, which is good if you're selling your house. The unfortunate part is, as many people were talking about even last night around the fire, Geez, somebody just offered me for this for my house. I think I should take it, but then I don't have any place to live. You know, there's no place to go. 
So you're in an enviable, enviable position if you can sell some real estate right now and you don't have to move any place because, yeah. uh, boy, it's it's uh, really the place time right now is to sell. Well, you talk- so we should see that stuff come to, come into uh, to a better spot, I think, um, as we see the wood prices come down and the builders start getting out there and we start getting more people back to work and helping to build the houses. It's interesting when you talk about back to work and we've been hearing this, you know, constant refrain that we've got to get rid of the enhanced unemployment because it's keeping people from working. But here in Wisconsin, it's kind of different. I was looking at the numbers. Uh, our our unemployment rate is is low compared to the rest of the country. And in fact, there are many people who say this lack of workers was a problem even before the pandemic. There just are not enough people living in Wisconsin uh, to fill all the jobs that are available. So what do you do in a situation like that when you've got yeah. jobs, but there just aren't enough people to, to fill them? Because the unemployment rate here in Wisconsin is much lower than the national average. And it's, yeah, getting, it's, yeah. it's getting down to the, to play, the places where, uh, you know, it, it doesn't go much lower than that. Well, I completely agree with you that we had a shortage before and we have a shortage now. Um, the, the, I think where a lot of people are, are talking about the $300 cap is that the number of people that are employed are matching up the number of people that number of jobs that people are requesting that we we uh, we need. But you know that it has always been, uh, and it will have to be that we're going to need immigrants to come in and to help fill those jobs. Now we need them legally here, which tends to be a problem currently. Uh, but we need them legally here because Tom, our kids and our grandkids probably aren't going to do the jobs. Um, that you and I did when we were kids to, uh, you know, start at the bottom and work our way up. We need to have immigrants coming in, but we need to know who they are and have them properly, you know, vetted and brought into the American world and the American process. So why uh, shouldn't be why, we have to do that? Why shouldn't we make that process easier then? I don't, have, I don't have a problem making it easier, but there's still a baseline of knowledge information which you need to have to be an American. So I don't have a problem streamlining it. I think right now, I think right now, most of us as uh, as quote unquote regular Americans would have trouble passing the immigration test if we had to take it. Maybe true. Um, but, uh, we've lived here. So, uh, let's give it that we get that benefit, but you know, multiple past administrations, um, have tried to make it so it was streamlined and easier to get the immigrations in. And because of the fighting back and forth of administrations, it seems to have not gotten done, but certainly an open door policy we have now is not the right way to go, but I would like to have it fixed. It certainly would make sense to me. All right, if we you need... want to come work in America, let's uh, let's come work in America, but let's know who you are and where your background is. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back with more. Phone lines are open. If you have a question from Earl, give us a call. We'll be right back here on WSAU. The opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through HBEC Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC, HBEC Incorporated, Kelch and Associates are unaffiliated companies, and this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. Did you know that every year Steve Faircal climbs the stairs at the John Hancock Center in Chicago? Inclusive workforce. Please join us. We need community leaders, businesses, and service providers to be part of the solution. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. We feel. People harbor all kinds of feelings. We're afraid. I'm afraid for our country. We're concerned. They feel their feelings override our freedom. We feel confused. I have mixed feelings about this. It's all about feeling. We feel optimistic. Feeling like there is hope. It's all feel every day. 
And we're back here. I'm in the studio. Merle's on location today, but we can take your phone call, 715-845-2155. You had mentioned yesterday that you used this uh, downturn in the market uh, for buying opportunities, and we've talked about that in the, in the past. Obviously, the old line is uh, buy low, sell high. Um, so, obviously, you are out there buying when the market goes down and finding bargains. Yeah. What about when the market is up? You're taking cash off the table. Are there still bargains to be found when the market is going up, up, up? You know, in, in using the, the term from uh, Jim Cramer, you know, there's always places to make money. He tries to find a place for it, too. And I, I love his program for that because it's true. There's always a place that you can find someplace uh, that's going to make you money coming up into the future. I think so many times in this marketplace, people are looking for the uh, – you know, the, the, the fast pitch, per se, or the one you can hit out of the park right away. Um, and and you know, it's, it's okay. You can find those. But, you know, but from, we look at the stuff and say, if I want to buy something now, let's buy something that's going to be good in the next couple of years. And, and so many people miss that. So even if the market is high, per se, um, if you sell something and you find something else, the answer is almost always yes. There's so many companies that are out there, but you have to do your homework or research or work with an advisor that can give you some information or some background to uh, uh, make some of those choices. So, you know, for example, we were buying some stock yesterday. And uh, we had planned to buy it, oh, probably about a week ago. And we saw the market tripping off with uh, one of our clients. And so we started buying yesterday. And then because a flip and a blip of the Internet, we ended up buying twice as much of it than we thought. So we called <laughs> the client and said, do you want this much? Should we you know, cancel some of these trades? And they said, no, keep it. That's a good price. So we ended up buying twice as much of an individual stock uh, for a client, and it's an internet-based uh, company that builds computer chips, and and uh, it's part of our conversation. But we bought the stock, Tom, not because we think the stock's going to go up really well in one year or two, um, but because we think it's going to be a great place in the next two or three years as our chip manufacturers try to bring some of these chips back home and manufacture them here. And so, and so from that, we picked out a, a, a great stock that we bought for two or three years, and I think if you sell something high and you take a profit, and there's nothing wrong with taking a profit, folks, uh, there's always something more to buy, and you do your research behind it. In fact, let me make this statement, Tom. My clients that have, have and have built the biggest wealth were also some of my older clients, and they always have a list of a, a 10 companies behind them that they've done some work or some research on that they would love to buy if the price gets, well, uh, gets uh, low enough. Or if they take some profit from something else, they have something else to buy right away. They always have something in their back pocket, which is always kind of interesting to me. And I've always respected that and learned from that. That's interesting that you ended up buying double the amount of a computer chip company because of a glitch in a computer chip on the Internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah from the Internet. It's true, too. You know, I got to tell you what, the, the trading platforms that we use are, are so robust. And I've used this story before, folks. You know, uh, when I started in this business, when you bought a stock, you had to write down and make up a, a, an account number for your particular office, for my office, for example. And you write down the account number, you write down a person's name, and you write, you know, basic information on them. You create that fake number, you would call in, you'd buy a stock, and so your reference number would be your fake number. Then when everything came through and you finally got everything settled up, you'd finally get the proper account number um, a number of days later. Uh, but you had to do everything by phone. Well, now... We had the ability to do things by computer. You could do computer after hours, and I've done it as I'm driving down the road. I've been buying and selling stuff for clients. I mean, the technology is tremendous. Well, the technology is also so good, Tom, that as you're entering a trade into your computer system, 
and I use an iPad here. Now, you know, I suppose now we got to charge iPad for advertising. Uh, but I use an iPad here, and as a result of it, I pushed the button to try to give me a summary to make sure we did something. And the internet glitched, and the computer program shut off. But to make sure that it was accurate, it bought the price as it's supposed to, as if something happened as a backup plan. So I went in, re-entered the trade, did it again. It looked, didn't notice that it had bought the trade when it shut off, too. So um, I guess I like the fact that it's so good that it buys it even when uh, a glitch happens, so we still get our price. So <laughs> All right. not a bad thing. All right, let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Richard. Richard, you're on with Merle. Go ahead. Morning, yeah. Richard. Merle, I'm 85 years old. What percentage do you think I, in my investment accounts, I have in gold, bond, stocks, gold, or gold and uh, Bitcoin? That's what you have, or that's what you? No, want? well, he wants to know well, what kind, what kind of what mixture I, he should have. Well, about what I should have percentage-wise. Well. <laughs> Um, at 85 years old, I think bonds are uh, not necessarily a bad idea for you. Um, yeah. Bitcoin, I probably wouldn't have at 85 years old, okay. um, or a very, very small amount, because that's a bet, the amount you can lose at a casino. Um, and uh, as far as gold or precious metals, um, again, we're looking at it and say, what's the reason that you want to have the, the gold or precious metals? Is it for an inflationary hedge? Um, is it for something you want to buy and own for six months? Is it for something you want to pass off to the kids? And that answers all those different questions. I'll give me an example. So, Richard, if you want to have gold for an inflationary hedge um, and you want to simply put it inside of your portfolio, I'd buy some sort of a gold ETF or an exchange-traded fund. It's easy to buy and sell, piece of cake. Um, if you want to buy gold because you think it's a good inflationary hedge and you want to pass it off to the kids um, some years down the road, I'd probably buy the bullion. It makes it a whole heck of a lot easier and it's real easy to inventory and uh, pass off to the kids uh, uh, later on when you pass away. So that's how I'd buy the gold. But again, as long as you remember where you hide it. Well, there's there's all kinds of really uh, interesting stories about people who would like to cheat the government, and they'd buy bullion and hide it in their house. So when they passed away, the kids would get it, and they wouldn't go to the estate collector. Yeah. I'm not proposing <laughs> No, no, no. I'm just saying that this has happened sometimes, Richard. Um, so make sure you have a good map so you can tell the kids where it is. Um, but as far as an inflationary hedge, you know, gold does work. Um, and, uh, you know, may or may not be a good time for it with inflation that's coming up. Again, I think this inflation is the term that they're using is transitory. Um, but at the same time, if you think it's going to be in the short, short term, use an ETF. You're going to save on that uh, buying as the in a premium and selling at a discount as time comes on. I hope that Could helps I ask you, that- Richard. Can go I ahead, ask another yes. question, please? Yeah, go sure. ahead. Uh-huh. Uh, how closely does the ETF GLD follow the price of gold? It depends on what, which ETF you have. <clears throat> Again, in, in ETFs, there's, you're going to find 50 of them out there. Um, and I don't have the symbol sitting right in front of me, but I like the ETF that comes through that owns only gold bullion. Make sense? Okay. Otherwise, GLD you want to find them? The, I'm sorry? <laughs> Is GLD, the ETF GLD, one of them? Yes. And they only hold the gold bullion versus derivatives. I would only go to the ones that hold the bullion. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 715-845-2155. The number to call here if you have a question for Merle. I'll tell you what. We're going to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. And we have Merle Kelch, Kelch & Associates. We'll be right back. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. 
He's been a professor at two major universities, he's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling is so innovative, it not only improves the lives of veterans, it transforms the lives of healthcare professionals who serve them with access to the latest technologies and remarkable benefits. Transform your future at vacareers.va.gov. The opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through HBEC Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC, HBEC Incorporated, Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back here. I'm in the studio. Merle's on location again. Our caller before the break, uh, 85 years old, and you gave him some tips on on the uh, his portfolio and having it uh, well-diversified. Um how diversified does a portfolio have to be at that age? I mean, you would you talked about bonds. I would think that you would not want any volatility at the age of 85, so you would be looking at mostly bonds. Would that be a, a fair statement? Boy, it, it depends upon the investor, Tom. Um, you know, I've, I've had, you know, in, in 32 years in this business, which it sounds amazing to me when I say that, by the way, uh, but 32 years in this business, I've met uh, people who were, uh, 60 years old and want to be risk adverse, didn't want to have anything in the stock market. The people who are literally in their mid 90s and didn't want to have any bonds and had only portfolios of stocks. So it really kind of comes down to the individual. Though I do have to say, um, from a standpoint of uh, regulators and compliance departments now are much um, more uh, diligent and watching to make sure that the stuff that's done for individuals are more consistent with who the individual is. And so uh, let me give you a couple of quick stories on that. So, folks, I was literally um, sitting inside of a, a nursing facility with a client who was there, and his health was getting a little bit rough, too. And as we were talking, we were talking about things and his health, and we had to get some work done and some trust done and that whole bit. And, you know, we're all spending his nice time, and he goes, okay, Merle, let me give you a couple of ideas on some stocks. And he turns around and turns the computer on. We're in the nursing home with him. So, to that point, you know, so... And that was in his 90s. And, and God bless him. I uh, love the man. He taught me a lot about the investment world and ideas and thoughts. And we have another client that's a current one right now um, that he likes particular stock, and he likes his particular stock. And from almost every measure, he shouldn't be buying as much of this particular stock that he does, but he has a fun account, and he keeps buying it inside of there. So our compliance department at our broker dealer keeps going crazy, saying, why do you keep buying this stock for the client? I says, you know, listen, um, He's got robust means, and this is his fun money. Um, and so with it, if you look at uh, you know his net worth and look at this account, this is fun money. It's what he likes to do and what he likes to play with. And we have to keep going. Every time we buy something, we have to keep going back and resending emails out because they're wondering why um, the person in this instance at 83 years old, why we keep buying this one stock for them. Um, and so the compliance departments, I think, are better than what they were in making sure there's a reason that we're buying for one particular age or another. Now, what I tend to find is that uh, people who are, like our friend Richard, who called into the show, and thank you, Richard, uh, there are people at 85, 87, 90 years old that are just as active in the marketplace as they were they were in 50 and 60, and they believe in the same type of constraints that got them to this point. And they don't want to stop and say, well, why should I start buying all this stuff just because of my age? 
um, I'm still going to continue to keep doing what I'm doing because I don't know what's going to happen in five or 10 or 15 years on the road. I'm just going to continue to keep investing as uh, the way that brought me to the dance. I would imagine, though, there are a lot of people in their 60s, maybe have just retired or nearing retirement, that can still remember the the gory details of people who had their retirement funds wiped out during the last crash and don't want sure. that to happen again. So how do you, yeah. how do you avoid a situation like that where you're getting close to retirement or you've just retired and then all of a sudden the market yeah. goes haywire yeah. and uh, you're basically wiped out? It, it all kind of comes down to a point of balance within your portfolio. We've talked about it, but Tom, it's the perfect time to chat about this. You know, when we have a portfolio, there's like uh, the, the three tiers, and I think we talked about this last week, but we have income stability, um, and then we have growth. And if you're going for all in one of those, you're doing it at the expense of the other two. So if you say only want growth in a portfolio, you do it at the expense of stability and income. Um, and so that's where the, the problem tends to come in is because people will just be growth, 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 and then they get their, their hats handed to them and the market takes a downturn. Then they get nervous, they jump out of it, they accept the loss, and they go to someplace else again. And and the whole thing is about balance. Um, I think you're more growth-oriented as you're younger. You're probably more income and stability-oriented as you get older, and certainly uh, would make sense. Um, But you still have to have those elements of growth on the inside. And so as you've built it, you tend to shift to be a little bit more conservative, and that tends to take out some of that volatility. The only portfolio that is riskless, per se, is if you're in the FDIC, um, and we know that the risk in that is that we're not making any money right now, not uh, certainly not uh, making money past taxes and inflation. And so there's still risk of that, but not the risk of the principal fluctuation. So like anything else, it has to be a balance of what you uh, want to occur or accomplish. I wanted to talk a little bit about a company that's having some trouble this week, and uh, you can use it as a general uh, idea and a general uh, topic. Uh, I mentioned to you before we went on the air because I know that you, you're a, a CPAP user. A company that makes uh, CPAP devices, uh, Philips, they make the meta- mechanical ventilator devices, uh, have a huge recall going on right now affecting millions of people. The company says the problem lies within the foam component of the devices, which is used to cut down on the sound the machine makes. The company says the foam may degrade into particles, which may enter the device's air pathway and be ingested or inhaled. So they're going to recall millions of these devices. I guess just as a general uh, point of reference, if you own stock in a company that has a problem like this where they have to have a major recall or they get some mm-hmm. bad publicity because one of their products, uh, you know, we always use the Tylenol situation, uh, one of their products has been tampered yeah. with or whatever the case may be, do you then immediately dump that stock and then buy it back when it goes to it, the absolute bottom? Do you hang on to it uh, and, and ride it out? What do you do in that situation? Well, it's, it's, it's no one in our industry is the, the Tylenol effect. And the, the Tylenol effect, if, if anybody follows that stock, um, when they had their big recall, and Tom, certainly you and I in our age will remember that, where they had some tainted Tylenol, they pulled it all off the stock. They did it voluntarily and said, hey, we got a problem. We're going to make everybody sure everybody's safe. They pulled it off the stock, I'm sorry, off the, off the shelves. Um, and uh, uh, then they went through and said, we're going to put it all back in. We're going to reload, restock, and put it back up there, making sure the product is safe. Well, the stock went down. Um, but then the stock ended up climbing right back up again. The stock went down, of course, because the company's going to have the loss of that. But then the stock went back up because, one, people trusted their brand, that they were so good to individuals and all of us in the community that they would do this for us and do it voluntarily. 
that their stock price went back up. Then it went up handsomely afterwards because they had such a trust in product and in new products that they came out with afterwards were sold and met with uh, um, a lot of, um, uh, what's the term I'm trying to use? Everybody had uh, trust in their honesty uh, as a brand. So when Phillips like this does this, more than likely the damage is already done. If they announce they're doing a recall, Tom, the stock price is already taking a hit. And I'm not looking at the stock price, so I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, folks. But usually the stock price is already going to take a hit. But when they come up with a new product, they're going to be uh, known as somebody who has trusted that their new product is going to be better than what it was because they found a problem before other people did and fixed it. So um, I would guess that that would be the case. That tends to be the case uh, these days that people are looking for somebody they can trust, an entity they can trust, a brand they can trust. And you think, if Philip does it right, they, that'll uh, work out well for them. Do you think that that kind of transparency is the norm in big business? Because let's face it, most of us are pretty cynical when it comes to the uh, to the machinations of, of big corporations that if they do have problems, they will try to bury them. They will they will try to hide them. They will, you know, use a team of lawyers to uh, yeah. to protect themselves. Uh, so we're pretty cynical when it comes to thinking that the corporations have our best interest in heart as opposed yeah. to their stock, uh, their shareholders' best interest at heart. Yeah. Tom, the smart companies, it's proven that the smart companies will be completely straightforward, um, solve the problem, fix the problem, and build that brand trust, which, as you know, in, in the business is, is second to none. Um, and, uh, and it's the smart companies do that. The other companies that don't, um, they'll probably still be in business, but they're not going to have that brand loyalty like they did before by just simply coming forward and uh, saying, we got a problem, we got to fix it, we don't want to hurt people. Um, so we'll see what uh, um, happens with Phillips. But, by the way, I did not have a Phillips machine, just to let you know. Okay. All right. Well, got that. that's so, good. So we're good. All right. Uh, so, so switching switching okay. gears just a tad here, I just wanted to ask for a uh, a um, definition of what yesterday was. They called it quadruple witching day, and they explained it as the simultaneous expiration of single stock options, single stock futures, stock index options, and stock index futures. How does that something like that affect the average investor, or does it? It just tends to amplify everything. Um, when we go back to the stock market crash that happened in 1987, it was the same thing. It was a, I think it was actually a triple witching day. One of them wasn't in there at that point. Um, <clears throat> but it's when you end up having everything's got to settle up, and it uh, happened to all settle up yesterday, and, and the day that we had negative downturn in the marketplace, and it just amplified everything on the way down. So um, it, we should come back from this relatively uh, unscathed um, uh, in a couple of days. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, hopefully Monday doesn't uh, um, uh, go even further than what it did yesterday. You, you touched upon that because again, um, uh, the, the article popped up here in front of me. And there was one point I wanted to make about this article we missed earlier, where when we were talking about our inflation, our inflation, our inflation. Um, in here, it's an article by Greg Robb. Let's give him some credit as well as uh, Brian Whisbury from First Trust and the information on this uh, next little part I'm going to chat about. But um, Fed's Bullard says he expects the first rate hike next year. So that was one of the things that was a big knee-jerk reaction um, helping yesterday. But the biggest part of in here is he's talking about um, what has been called the taper tantrum of 2014 or now the taper tantrum 2 of uh, 2021 potentially. And that is the Federal Reserve to add additional cash inside of the marketplace is not only keeping interest rates low, uh, but they've been buying up bonds. So they've been buying uh, to the tune of uh, <clears throat> some $80 billion of 
um, mortgage-backed securities and $40 billion um, a month of uh, U.S. government-backed securities, uh, treasuries. And so with that, that adds more liquidity into the system, of course, has the same effect as lowering interest rates even more if that were possible at the time. And so what Ballard said, he says, I think that as we see the economy and so forth grow, I don't think we need to start buying as much as we did before. Well, the reason they call it the taper tantrum is in 2014, folks, the Federal Reserve decided they were going to stop uh, buying bonds as they were. And they started doing it aggressively and saying, well, we're going to start, I think it was a $10, $10 billion a month they were going to stop when they're uh, buying. Um, and it caused the stock market, bond market to go place. And it just kind of created an air bubble and everything just sort of froze up in the economy, the marketplace, everything, because they started doing stuff too fast. The economy wasn't able to absorb that much back into the system. And so I think a big part of this reaction that we saw yesterday was what if we see that happen again? Now, the beautiful part about that, folks, is that we've done this once before, and the tapering did occur, and the Fed did stop buying the bonds, but they did it over a number of years versus the course of a number of months, but was the old proposed plan. So if they do stop buying uh, bonds, them being the Fed, um, I would expect it to happen over a few-year process versus just simply saying we're going to shut it off now, and then the economy has to go in and start to suck up all these bonds in our normal oxygen process, which is probably a little bit uh, off-kilter right now um, as a, a result of the pandemic stuff. And by the way, I got my numbers wrong. It's $80 billion of treasuries and $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. All right, 715-845-2155. Phone lines are open if you have a question for Merle. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more on WSAU. Specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through HVAC Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, HBAC Incorporated, Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies, and this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back. I'm in the studio. Merle's on location this morning. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155. We were talking last week, I think it was, and you're a big fan of uh, hydrogen-powered cars. And uh, mm-hmm. one one of the things that, you know, we were talking about electric cars, you believe hydrogen is a, is a is a thing that should be looked at as well. And we heard this week that BMW is beginning to test vehicles powered by hydrogen. The German company explains the prototypes will be tested on European roads, uh, and they'll be testing the car on a range of metrics, including reliability, safety, and efficiency. They said the hydrogen fuel cell technology could become an alternative for those who don't want a battery-powered electric motor or for those who frequently drive long distances. Now, the question is for us, uh, for those of us who will never be able to afford a BMW. Is this technology going to be able to become affordable in a lower-priced automobile at some point in time? Honda was doing testing on this 10 years ago uh, with hydrogen uh, cell or hydrogen-fueled vehicles. So the technology is out there. One of the issues is just so expensive at that point in time to be able to do it. But the prices are coming down. We've talked about it before. There's a company that's based in Rochester, New York, um, called Hyzon. Um, they're set to they're set to go public. Um, they're not as of yet, and I'm not saying to run out and get them. I'm just trying to give you information, folks, if you want to find some information on them. But um, they're creating semis essentially um, and buses, and they're being sold some 1,800 uh, new orders just recently um, because they found a way to make it so that your semis and tractors and trailers and buses inside of cities can be powered by hydrogen 
And with hydrogen, they pair up with diesel as far as the amount of energy you're putting into the amount of energy you're getting back out again. And again, the byproduct, folks, of um, a hydrogen fuel cell is water. So your blasting or your pollution is zero um, because it comes out literally as water coming out of the exhaust pipe, for lack of a better term. So the benefit in here, Tom, is not only will individual cars be able to use that, um, but more importantly are the ships. Um, there are containers that are cruising all over the world will have the ability to use hydrogen. And uh, now you have, rather than using hundreds of thousands of fuel oil, gallons of fuel oil, um, you have your hydrogen uh, cells and, and so forth. Um, but you don't have that pollution of all those liners going all over the place. And if I had imagined correctly, you should be able to use hydrogen for jets and that type of thing too. It's a new technology. Um, and it's finally gotten small and efficient enough that I think it's viable. And I think that's what solves a lot of our green technology. Because, again, folks, you know, an electric vehicle, as much as I love the idea and how fast they can be and quick, it takes a lot of uh, energy to create the batteries and that whole bit. And hydrogen seems that would be actually more green than the electric at least from my reading at this point in time. How does big oil handle this situation? There are many people who think that big oil is a dinosaur, is going to become extinct at some point in time. And when we hear about <laughs> these new technologies that are going to replace our oil-based cars and gasoline-based cars, uh, I, people would, uh, would, wouldn't be surprised if that, in fact, does happen at some point in time. Yeah. In our lifetime. Well, uh, Big oil is going to come out. I think hydrogen is going to come out in our lifetime, and I think it's going to be viable because it works. Um, or it's, it's now the technology is making it work, I should say better. Um, again, this is my opinion, folks, but we're never going to get rid of big oil. Um, we, we can't. Everything you touch that has plastic associated, that all comes from oil. We may change how we refine it. Maybe we have it less into fuels than we have or less into various things, but we're still going to have to have lubricants. We're still going to have to have glass, I'm sorry, not glass, but plastics, laminated glass. I'm sorry, that's where I was going with that. Uh, we still need to have all the things that plastic has and occurs in our vehicles. That's all oil. Um, the basis for our medicines, uh, many makeups, it's all coming from various distillates of oil and natural gas. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. We can't change that. But if I were big oil, I'd be investing in saying, how do I now create it so that where all my distribu distributors are with oil, how do I get it so I have hydrogen there um, or even electricity for uh, charging your vehicles? Um, how am I going to do that? Because oil or electric cars, which I think is just a, a great idea for running around the individual city, um, but for me to hook on my camper and pull it from here to Florida, it's not going to work with electricity. It's going to be so much more work to do so. I'd rather have something I can just stop fill up for 10 minutes and keep driving, hydrogen offers that and still being uh, much more green than burning fossil fuel. All right, let's take a quick phone call here before we finish up. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is Mark. Hi, Mark. You're on with Merle. Go Good ahead. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Merle. Say, I have a question for you regarding the energy stocks, kind of an appropriate subject uh -huh. right now. Um, yep. I've been looking at them, and they've had a good run, uh, you know, so far this year, and I'm just wondering if you think it still is uh, not a bad idea to invest in them since the oil prices are going up? Well, one of the I, – I, I don't think it's ever uh, a bad thing, but you have to make sure you're looking at the, the bottom line of whether or not the company's making money. And I think, Mark, if you take a look at 2019 and say, how did that company fare? And you look at their financials from 2019, that's a really good indicator. So there's a number of companies that were out there that we looked at 
and we looked at were they making money during 2019 with the, the thing with down. There's a couple of companies that the answer is yes, they still made money. They made good business decisions. They weren't laden in debt. Um, and there's some good companies that are out there. So the reason we're seeing the energy sector coming up so much is, is uh, frankly, Mark, you and I are getting out and driving again. We're hopping on an airplane. We're doing some things and it's having with the rest of the public, too. So it's nice to see them come back again. But, boy, you can really see the ones that were weak. If you look through some financials, just a little bit of homework from last year. And I still think we're going forward on those stocks, by the way. Okay. Yeah, I noticed that, uh, you know, there's the three big ones and. They were all losing money last year, but they seem to be uh, looking at the estimates of, uh, uh, you know, the income. It, it looks pretty good in the future here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do a little research or a little more. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. And we're uh, out of time for calls here today. But just looking at Jim Cramer's column here before we finish up, Cramer says the Fed is in warning mode and warning mode can be brutal. He says, adding that history also shows late June is a tough time for stocks in general. The bad news is the sell off probably isn't done. Uh, And you look at his plan for the week. uh, We've got St. Louis Fed President Bullard speaking again tomorrow or make that Monday and Fed Chairman Jerome Powell will speak on Tuesday. And then you've got some earnings uh, reports coming out for some major companies later in the week, Nike and FedEx among them. Um, do you believe uh, what Kramer is saying that uh, this situation is probably not uh, not done yet? Uh, yeah, I, I think it could be not done yet. Um, I don't know who the Fed, um, uh, who the Fed Governor Bullard is. I don't know much about him. Um, and what he's saying is actually true and accurate, but I think he's missing the point of saying that we could we should do this differently than we've done in the past. Um, I think he, when he is talking about doing the you know the tapering and not doing the bond buybacks and having a, uh, essentially creating a taper tantrum too, um, I think he he should be making more statements of you know in the past we did this and it worked out so better we hope to do it better coming up into the future, and I think he could really stop some of the knee jerk reaction that's happening inside of the marketplace. All right. Um, so we'll see what happens from there. All right. We're out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you when you're back in the office, how can they do that? Uh, we'll be there bright and early Monday morning. Give us a call locally, 715-849-3600. Toll free outside of the Wausau area at 866-355-5100. Stop and visit us at 3rd Avenue in Bridge Street. Come on in, have a cup of coffee, or find us online at kelchandassociates.com. All right. We'll talk to you again next week. That's Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates, today here on WSAU. We've got the news on the way. The Polka Show is coming up as well. Brewer Baseball returns tonight. The Brewers and the Colorado Rockies from Coors Field. Pre-game show right here at 7.35 on WSAU. Yeah, military life can have its challenges, but sometimes veteran life brings more. While serving in Iraq, an IED took both my legs, but it didn't take my spirit. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. My name is Greg Gadsden, 26-year Army veteran. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. DAV helps veterans.